Hey everybody, it's Sam with Pro Wrestling Overtime. A lot of you, a lot of you, wrote me to gripe and complain about Wrestler Observer's 2021 awards. Why are you writing me? Yes, I know that some of you said we want to hear your opinions on it. Well, okay. I don't care to give you my opinions on anything, and you guys know that. But some of you were acting like it was do or die. Guys, we've got WWE's Elimination Chamber today. We've got um, GCW's having a pay-per-view. Impact Wrestling is having a pay-per-view. And as always, on some of the smaller uh, promotions such as NWA and MLW, I'm a little behind, like probably by about a week. So, sitting down and giving you my thoughts on the Wrestling Observer 2021 awards really wasn't on my schedule today. However, I guess I can sit down and do it. Um, what did I think of them overall? I've been reading these awards since I was young. Now, I have to be very honest with you. When I first started wrestling, PWI, uh, Pro Wrestling Insider, PWI's um, awards probably, or Pro Wrestling Illustrated, excuse me, I don't know why I said PW Insider, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, probably meant more to me, looking back. Um, they had the top 500, and they put out awards kind of like this also, but I don't know, I, I guess I... I think I always thought PWI had better pictures. So when you were actually looking at a magazine in, you know, the grocery store or the gas station or wherever, and that's what used to happen to me is um, my dad would be filling up the car or, or whatever, and I would run in and be like, ah, oh, I need this magazine. And it was based on what was on the cover. You know, was uh, Ric Flair on there bleeding or something like that? Uh, was DX on there crotch chopping? What what was going on, you know? So, I'm familiar with these awards, but it was only older. Once I got out of wrestling, quit watching it, actually went to college, um, started coaching. Uh, both middle school and high school sports, and kind of went into the real world, I guess, that I got back into wrestling somewhat, only to drop out after, you know, a couple of years until John Cena come back. But um, the 2002 class, I know I've said it in numerous episodes, but 
John Cena, Brock Lesnar, Batista, Randy Orton, that class, the 2002 class, will just go down in history. Um, defining moment in wrestling. But anyway, kind of got back into it, and it was only then that I realized Mike Johnson, Dave Metzler, Stu Apatow, those guys were who I was reading. Um, Wade, um, I'm trying to think another one, Jason Powell, um, those were the guys I was listening to. Those were the guys that were giving my me my outlook other than the people I was watching wrestling with. You know, I talked some in a in a past episode. I got started in wrestling by my grandmother and going down to her house and 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 watching wrestling when I was little, um, talking five, six years old, I learned wrestling from what she said, and then later watching it with my friends, what we thought and said, but if anything else shaped what I thought about wrestling, it was those magazines, um, you know, reading what these guys wrote about wrestlers, even some wrestlers that I couldn't see. Um, You know, I had heard of Abdullah the Butcher or Bruiser Brody or um, the Great Muta. People like that, they may mention them on TV, but I didn't really pay any attention to it. It was only when they referred to him maybe in the magazine articles or there was a picture up that I was like, oh, wonder who that is. And it was like it was filed away in my brain. And then when I got older and got really interested in the history or, or got interested being bored one day and said, what rabbit hole can I go down? What wrestler do I not know about that I've heard? that I can look up on the internet. And it was only then recalling some of those magazines that I got to really explore the internet and find matches from Japan or matches from off-the-wall promotions that don't even exist anymore on YouTube or, or whatever. And so if you're listening to me today, I encourage you to do things like that. Don't just oh, I like Chris Jericho, I'm going to watch all of his AEW matches. Good for you. Um, I've already seen them. I encourage you to go back and watch um, his WCW early days when he was green and they were jobbing him out to other wrestlers and, oh, they realized how good he was. Go watch some of his um, matches. They used to be on YouTube. I'm not sure whether they still are. Of Chris Jericho in Mexico. Um, Chris Jericho, of course, any of his matches that you can watch on WWE. But also watch, I think, 
verse 5. Three out of the five are five stars. In New Japan Pro Wrestling, Chris Jericho is the pain maker. And I think there's five pain maker matches, I think. You guys can write me and tell me I'm wrong. I, I, I don't care because I'm doing this from memory. But I think three out of the five were five-star matches from Dave Metzler. They're, they're unreal. If you only have time to watch one uh, New Japan match, watch um, Chris Jericho as the pain maker. And you'll know he's the pain maker. He's white face and he has black circles around his eyes and then like the symbol of a cross through his eyes. He um, took on a Akata. O-K-A-D-A. And watch that match. But, you know, so many people want to stay with what they see now. Go back and do some research. But anyway, let's, let's get on to the awards. Some of you had problems with the Wrestler of the Year. Well, I'll be real honest with you. I kind of did too. But when you hear the explanation from some of the voters, from from the fans who voted, from, you know, writers or podcasters, or even Dave Metzler himself, you kind of get it. Um, Wrestler of the Year was Kenny Omega. Um, Roman Reigns was a distant second, which I thought it would be closer. I really, really did. Um, guys, Roman Reigns has not changed. I have been arguing this for, well, since August of 2020, when he came back. People have been amazed and said, Roman Reigns is so much better. He's Guys, when you look at him in the ring, which is what wrestler of the year is. He's not. He's not any better. He's still got the same three moves. Uh, he's got the guillotine, Superman punch, spear. He really doesn't know how to do anything else. He does do a, a schoolboy roll-up every once in a while. But Roman didn't change his match. Go pull up right after the Shield broke up the first time. One of his matches. Go pull up one of his matches from, I don't know, 2017, 2018. It doesn't matter. They're all the same. Of when he is Roman Reigns' babyface as champion. And then pull up a match from any time after August 2020. Roman Reigns' heel champion. All of those matches will look almost exactly the same. I mean, I encourage you to do it. Those matches are basically the same. I've done it. Where he is different and what shows Roman Reigns' improvement and growth is him turning heel and learning to do 
somewhat of a promo. He still really struggles with longer promos or with short promos that he's got to do with a cadence or with a beat as far as da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. If he's got to do a promo with a cadence and you know you can look up any CM Punk uh, promo except for the long one that he recently did with MJF. CM Punk has a cadence to almost all of his promos. And that's what causes people to get into it. Whether he's a heel or a babyface, it doesn't matter. CM Punk has developed his own kind of cadence. And you find yourself looking for that end point that he's going to make. Roman hasn't got into that really well yet. And it shows. But for the most part, he's gotten better at his promos. People say, well, he uses Paul Heyman. Well, he does. But he uses it very well. And what he uses it for, or what WWE uses Paul Heyman for, Paul Heyman cuts the amount of time that Roman has to work in half a lot of times. Here recently, it's been thirds. Uh, when he first comes back, August 2020, uh, September 2020, you see Heyman carrying more of the load, more three-fourths. But for most of his run, it's been half. You know, the baby face will come out, say this, 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 this. Uh, go look at Kevin uh, Owens versus uh, Roman Reigns from... Gosh, I think they battled from October of 2020 up until almost February of 2020. Any of those promos that you pull up, you'll see Kevin Owens come out and talk. He's a talker. He's very good. And you see Paul Heyman respond. You'll see Kevin Owens come back, shorter statement, more to the point. And then you hear the Roman promo. Uh, It's only when Roman starts in with Drew McIntyre that you see him taking a little more on and him trying the cadence aspect of it. Um, And Drew McIntyre not doing longer promos. That's why it worked. But anytime Roman's against a talker, thank John Cena, A lot of people are like, oh, he did so much better against John Cena this time. He had talking points. And if you notice, John Cena will go on one of his famous Cena promos, but Roman's promo is very short, succinct, and it hits bullet points. And that's where Roman has gotten better. Is he Kenny Omega better? He carries himself better than Kenny Omega did this year and that's what a lot of people are griping about with this wrestler of the year award but can you gripe about Kenny Omega no I don't think you can and here's why 
he went to AAA, he went to Impact Wrestling, he went to AEW, he was a champion in all three, and at one time was holding all of them. Now, was I personally wanting him to go to MLW and GCW and all these other places and collect their belts too? I kind of wouldn't see it, yes. I also wanted to see the Kenny Omega coming apart storyline, which we really didn't get. We didn't get him snapping, um, getting depressed, falling apart, struggling with where he was going to go and what he was going to do. I thought they were going to go ahead and tell that story. And they could have had that parallel with Hangman Adam Page's rise out of the ashes, but we didn't really get to see that. And I was a little disappointed, but I understand Kenny, with all of his injuries, he had four of what doctors considered to be major to borderline major injuries at the end of the year that he had been dealing with for the last three months. And I think you have to take that into consideration. He had some really good matches this year. Were they typical Kenny Omega? No. If you go back earlier in his career, he had some very outstanding matches. And um, none of his matches this year rate up to that. Why? Well, some of it is due to the injuries. Some of it is due to who he had to take on. I mean, come on. When you're taking on Rich Swan, you're you're not going to put on a five-star match. When you're taking on Sammy Callahan, you're not going to be putting on five-star matches. Come on. But here's my gripe with Wrestler of the Year. I really thought it should have been Daniel O'Brien or Brian Danielson, whichever one you want to call him. Think about it. Daniel Bryan started off the year 2021 in WWE. He started off January, February saying, I am going to make new superstars. I want to train them. He was on WWE creative. He was working on and with storylines. He was doing matches with Drew Gulak, um, Cesaro. He was really wanting to elevate them and get people to start paying attention to them. When um, WWE realized, oh no, we have this problem with Roman. We don't really have a lot of people to put up against him. Edge is wanting to be a heel, but... We want Edge versus Roman, and we got to have a baby face. And so, Daniel, you're you're up. And I really think Daniel Bryan and Roman and Edge worked well. Edge will tell you no. He did not want him involved. Roman didn't really care. He was even leaning towards being forward after it was explained to him. We have to have Daniel Bryan in there. Number one, he's going to have to eat the pin 
Edge doesn't want to be pinned. Ed, we want to keep him strong. Uh, obviously, we don't want Edge beating you for the belt. So we've got to have someone in there to eat the pin. But we've got to have a technical wrestler. You and Edge are not really great wrestlers. Edge just came back from another injury. Remember in, um, what was it, June, July, August of 2020, Edge and Randy Orton had the greatest technical wrestling match ever, right? But anyway, Edge got hurt in that match, and he was just coming back from tearing his bicep, so or tricep. And so, that, they needed, you know, Daniel Bryan in there. He decided, no problem. In the meantime, renegotiating his contract with WWE, saying, hey, I want to go to New Japan. I really would like to be there, you know, for Wrestle Kingdom 16 and the G1, and I really would like to go fight Okada. WWE was kind of balking, then they talked to New Japan, and they were trying to work something out. You had Daniel Bryan working on a handshake deal, and leading up to WrestleMania, to eat the pin, and then ends up getting his rematch with Roman Reigns, where Roman says, you lose, you're, you're out of here. Everybody assumed this meant SmackDown. It's because they were being told by WWE he's going to resign. He didn't. And he left. You know, he went to AEW. He performed in their biggest pay-per-views. I mean, when you think about it, he took, what, three months off, I guess? To recover, to figure out what he wanted to do, to be at home with his wife and his kids, and just kind of make the decision, yes, this is really what I want to do. I want one more big push, not only in AEW, but AEW, if I sign with them, will allow me to go other places. Has he went any other places? No, not really. Why? Because he's been working weekly. He hasn't needed to. The only week that we didn't see Brian Danielson working pretty much was Rumble and then Holiday Weeks. He stays home with his family, usually. Even if he's not on TV, a lot of times you'll read or you'll hear someone say, no, he... He showed up for AEW because he's working with other talent. He's put on numerous bangers of matches in AEW and pulled. And I think that's what makes you the wrestler of the year. The great one. The one that deserves to go into the Hall of Fame, which Daniel Bryan is this year. Not in the WWE Hall of Fame, but in the Indie Hall of Fame. Is by pulling younger wrestlers, or older wrestlers, or wrestlers that are not as good as you, up to your standards. 
And, I mean, with him wrestling, um, uh, Lee Moriarty, uh, Darby Allen, um, Daniel Garcia, you're seeing him put on excellent matches with them. Then you're seeing him take on some of the top names like Kenny Omega or Hangman Page. I look forward. We're going to see him and CM Punk. I hope sometime this year, if not early next year, where we see them go at it, go at it. Not only just on the mic, but in the ring. And I hope we get three matches out of it. But we'll have to wait and see. I can't wait to see him and John Moxley go at it. Hopefully we get three matches. Now the next award that Dave Metzler and Wrestling Observer came out with was the Most Outstanding Wrestler. And they gave this to Takagi of New Japan Pro Wrestling. I really almost thought that it should have went to Will Osprey. Again, he became a belt collector, and I believe he holds two, maybe three belts right now. Yes, uh, one of them is Warrior Wrestling's. One of them, I think he, he has a Hogs. I think he has the House of Glory belt. I'm trying to think who else's belt he has. But at one time, you know, he had the New Japan Pro Wrestling belt among others, and so I really thought that maybe he would win this. They gave it to Takagi, and I just don't know that he had the name recognition to get it. Um, As far as most outstanding wrestler, again, I think a case can be made for Brian Danielson. Um... I'm trying to think who else possibly could have gotten that. But, I mean, I think it was really between those two. Tag Team of the Year went to the Young Bucks. I know a lot of people said it should have been the Usos. Well, when you sit down and kind of look... The Usos didn't have any competition. They are always going to be up against the New Day. If WWE would have built the Street Profits correctly, that should have been the tag team versus tag team of the year. And the Usos would have been in the conversation had you had a strong Street Profits. People are just tired of the Usos versus the New Day. We're going to be getting it again at WrestleMania this year. And I really think WWE really doesn't care about their tag teams. I probably would have went more with FTR. You have seen them wrestling other places. You have seen them showing up Ring of Honor. You've seen them going to AAA. You've seen them going to indie promotions. Doing things, um, I think it was in December, is when they went to an indie promotion. They took on the Rock and Roll Express because that was one of their dream matchups. And 
they were making those happen. I think we're going to see them against GCW, uh, the Briscoes. Maybe for the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions uh, belts. So, I think a case could have made, been made for FTR over the Young Bucks, but the Young Bucks had a great year. Beating, um, they started off the year beating um, LAX, um, pr- the Proud and Powerful, or Santana and Ortiz. Then you saw him feuding with uh, the Inner Circle. You saw him feuding with Lucha Bros. The Lucha Bros and LAX are two of the best tag teams in the world. You saw them fight FTR, finally. That's a match people have been wanting for four years. Um. Those, having those four top, top teams, and I feel like I'm missing somebody, but those four top teams in AEW helps them tremendously, whereas the Usos don't have that. So I think that's part of the problem. Um, Interview E of the year, MJF. Guys, is there a better talker? I know a lot of you say CM Punk. No. MJF lives his gimmick. If you see him at the grocery store, he is going to be MJF to you that you see on TV. He doesn't even break character with kids. Which is what a lot of people gripe about. Cody Rhodes has been saying all 2021, I don't want to be a heel. I am AEW's face. I do a lot of good things. I don't want kids being afraid of me. I don't want kids thinking I'm mean or anything like that. And you see heels all the time. Roman Reigns is one. He's a heel. When he does his Make-A-Wish, Roman Reigns, for you guys that don't know, Roman Reigns does a tremendous amount of granting wishes, even though he slowed down some as a heel, for kids. And that is one of the things that he has said has been one of the harder things for him to do is make those wishes as a heel. And MJF doesn't play any of that. You know, he'll cuss kids out just like he does anyone else. And he doesn't care to tell you. If you're interviewing him, there is no let's let's not be kayfabe. Let's let's be you. And he's like I am me. So there's a lot of wrestlers you can get in interviews that will say okay, and they will not be their character. And they'll give you what it was like in their childhood. They'll give you any struggles they've had. Um, they'll tell you about their parents or their town where they grew up or anything like that. And they'll go into what they're doing now as far as, you know, if they're 
you know, uh, buying a new car or they're buying their mom a house or anything like that. MJF may let you in on things like that, but it will be as MJF, his character, and he will be his snarky, obnoxious self. And you've just got to realize that going in. I I know a lot of you were arguing um, CM Punk. The case could have been made, I think, with for The Miz. Because of all of the interviews that he had to do for Dancing with the Stars, for uh, Ms. and Mrs., um, there was another set of interviews. Oh, he was part of the WrestleMania PR blitz that WWE did for the month before WrestleMania with him going up against Bad Bunny. And then he did a PR blitz... I guess the two or three weeks after um, WrestleMania with about how great Bad Bunny was, but how he was going to get Damian Priest and how Backlash was going to be it. So, I mean, I think that one was pretty right on. Then you had the promotion of the year and that went to AEW. Guys, how can you gripe with that? AEW started their second show on TV with AEW Rampage. It has been a success. Yes, they're averaging, what, half million to 600,000 on Friday nights. But when you look at numbers that include DVR that come out Monday, Tuesday of the next week, you see so many people, you see their numbers jump, because so many people DVR it, and I find myself sometimes DVRing it, especially if GCW has got a pay-per-view that night, and so you have to take that into account, they have kept AEW Dark and AEW Dark Elevation going on YouTube, and it also being a success. And then Dynamite, I hate to say it, it's just been kick-ass. Especially in the last six months. No, WWE cannot compete with their storylines on a overall basis. They take a storyline from being the elite Show it on AEW Dark. Show it on AEW Elevation. Show it on AEW Rampage. And then it goes to Dynamite that goes to a pay-per-view. And you can follow it. All I have to do is talk to you about WWE showing you the Liv Morgan documentary of her wondering, am I going to be on this pay-per-view? Um, I'm unveiling this character, what's it going to be, the changes that were made, and then when you see it, it's not really like it was, and and so WWE can't even get it together with their own, you know, TV. 
You see it with um, Drew McIntyre. How he went from babyface to heel, back on Raw, and then switched over and has been total babyface on SmackDown, but his character's been a letdown and and everything. They can't keep it with two shows and with their pay-per-views. So, I think as long as WWE is letting Raw fall by the wayside and their storylines sucking, you can't name WWE Promotion of the Year. Who I think is Promotion of the Year? GCW and Brett Lauderdale. Especially since April is what I want to say. I know a lot of people started paying attention to it in June when Matt Cardona and Nick Gage started heating up. But I think since April, WrestleMania week of 2021, GCW has been on fire. Um, I think they started out with the collective. That whole week of shows was just unbelievable. And having John Moxley show up at the Collective in Tampa is something I won't forget, and calling out Nick Cage. And so I think that just started it, and with you seeing Matt Cardona win the belt, seeing Nick Cage get it back, having his new run, having John Moxley get it, and continue to keep it into 2022 has been unreal. The thing with their tag belts, <coughs> it started with G. Raver and Jimmy Lloyd, went into um, the second gear crew with Matthew Justice and Mance Warner into, I'm trying to think who was next. I'm missing somebody, but the Briscoes having it, and now Nick Gage and uh, Matt Tremont having them going into 2021 has been unbelievable, or 2022 has been unbelievable. TV show of the year, Dynamite, um, I think Rampage probably needs to get some publicity here. But, I mean, you can't argue with Dynamite over the last couple months. Match of the year, I think this one, hands down, uh, Young Bucks versus the Lucha Bros. This was the cage match at All Out, and those two teams, the innovative original stuff they did was outstanding. But if you just look at the stunts and how that match was put together and the old style moves that they did that had been done 50 million times in a cage before, the twists that they put on them or how precise both teams were doing those and the selling that they did in this particular match, I don't know of another match that came close. I know a lot of people want to talk about um, the different Daniel Bryan matches. I agree they were good. Um, I thought FTR and the Young Bucks were really good. I thought FTR and the Lucha Bros were good. 
Um, Kenny Omega um, had some, I guess, decent matches. Not any that I felt were extremely memorable. WWE was a letdown for me this year after Daniel Bryan usually having really good matches. I liked the Drew McIntyre Sheamus feud and felt that those I think they had three matches on Raw and they've had two on SmackDown. I think those set of five are really great when you put them together. Um, Sheamus and Cesaro have had some really good matches. I think Sheamus has been a underrated wrestler that people haven't talked about as much for his work that he did in 2021, especially suffering the nose injury that he did. That was not a kayfabe injury, guys. He, he legitimately had surgery. I'm trying to think of other matches. Um, Dragunov and, and Walter um, had two really good matches. I mean... But I don't know that any, anything came close to the cage match. Then um, he came out with box office draw. It had to be CM Punk. Uh, you know, I don't know anyone that could sell out a pay-per-view in a bigger stadium on the rumor he may show up. No one reported it was a done deal. No one reported that he had already signed. He didn't show up on TV before. So you cannot say that it was sold out before based on any of that. They legitimately sold that out on the rumor that CM Punk may show up. Not that he was going to wrestle. Just that he may show up. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know who is a better box office draw. Feud of the year, like I said, they gave it to Kenny Omega and Adam Page. I don't agree with that. That was a long-term feud that paid off in 2021. I don't know that you can say that was the feud of the year. Again, Drew McIntyre and Sheamus... I don't know, wasn't kind of the feud of the year. Yes, you probably could make a, um, maybe a case for Brock, uh, Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. I think you could make a case for Matt Cardona, uh, Nick Gage, or Matt Cardona versus GCW, period. With him taking on Nick Gage and Effie and then getting Chelsea Green in. Um, most improved, I can't argue with this, Tay Conti. Um, second probably would be Jade Cargill or uh, Jungle Boy, Jack Perry. He has really improved. Trying to think of who else. Jordan Oliver, I think, has to be into consideration. Um, 
trying to think. No, we haven't really talked about the women, but I'll tell you what, I really felt the women this year were a letdown. Um, I really thought going in, when you saw the match of Thunder Rosa, Britt Baker, the unsanctioned match that happened in February of last year, I thought that was going to be the feud of the year. And really, with Thunder Rosa concentrating on Mission Pro and AEW, seeming like not wanting Britt Baker to wrestle that much, we didn't really see that turnover. Now, we're getting them at All Out this year, but I don't know that I I really care about it as much as what I did last year. Uh, most charismatic uh, CM Punk. You, I think you have to agree with that. I think if John Cena would have done six or seven months instead of just three, I think you might have seen him sneak in here. Best technical wrestler, I think this hands down Brian Danielson. Uh, the Bruzy, Bruiser Brody Memorial Bre- Best Brawler. Does it go to anyone else but John Moxley? Um, maybe Nick Gage. I I don't know anyone else. Uh, Brody King, maybe. Uh, J.R. Kratos. Uh, Chris Dickinson, before he got hurt, maybe was uh, putting on a show for that. I don't know. Best high flyer was considered Ray Phoenix. Some of you wrote me and said Montez Ford. Guys. Montez Ford did not do enough singles matches. Ray Phoenix did because Pinto was hurt. Pac was hurt. And um, I think you really have to be kind of a singles wrestler to get that. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I think Dante Martin, when Darius Martin comes back and they go to top flight again, I think you're going to see him skyrocket up here. Underrated, I totally disagree with this, but Ricochet won it. Like I said, I think the most underrated wrestler may be Sheamus. Move of the year, Buckshot Lariat, uh, Adam Page. I don't know that I necessarily agree with this. Kids can't do the Buckshot Lariat. They don't have a top rope to flip over. And I think the move of the year is a move you see people doing, kids doing. You, you see them at the pool doing it. You see them, you know, at high school games doing it. You, you see, and that was the coffin drop. that I saw it everywhere this year. Saw it at a high school football game. Uh, here, where I'm from, local, them off the bleachers, Falling coughing drop and people catching them. Um, saw it at the pool constantly. Um, trying to think of another one that maybe you saw this year. The spear is always going to be popular, but unless people are saying this is the move I want, I like about the, you don't know whether it's Edge's spear, it's Goldberg's spear, it's Roman Reigns' spear, it's Beth Phoenix's spear, whose spear actually, you know, is it? Rookie of the year, Jade Cargill, um, I don't know that you can question that, she was there all year. 
I know a lot of you uh, want to say Braun Breaker. I agree. He come on too late, though. Um, a lot of you were saying Hook. Guys, he was around, what, two months of the year? Six weeks, maybe, of the year? He can't win it. I look for Hook to win 2022. Uh, best announcer, Excalibur. Excalibur is growing on me. He drove me nuts three years ago. And I actually wanted Golden Boy over him. However, he is growing on me. He's calmed down. He's picking his spots. He's having better patience and not trying. He came from a one-man booth and was stuck in with a three-man booth. And that had to be hard, but he has gotten so much better. Um, He's... He's definitely not bad now. I like Pat McAfee. I like Kevin Gill. But, you know, it is easier to be the commentator than it is play-by-play. The show of the year, it has to be AEW All Out, top to bottom. WWE puts on good shows, but they usually don't do it top to bottom. Their bottom five matches will be excellent. And then their top two or three matches on that same card will be disqualifications or screwy finishes or run-ins or some kind of joke of something. And you're like, and it leaves you mad. Or the first four or five matches on a WWE pay-per-view will absolutely suck, and you're thinking, I'm going to turn this off. I'm paying $5 a month for it, but I'm going to turn it off. And then the last three matches, you'll be like, oh my gosh, why didn't they do that last time? They can't put together a top-to-bottom card, which is AEW's all-out. I mean, it was the best card all around. Um... GCW has been putting on some pretty decent ones, though, so they may give AEW a run, maybe, sometime this year. Best booker and promoter, Tony Khan. Um, I still think Brett Lauderdale gives him a run for his money, especially with the Matt Cardona stuff, but I understand why they picked Tony Khan. Best gimmick. Roman Reigns and the Tribal Chief. I have to to say that. Um, best book was Mox by John Moxley. Best documentary was Dark Side of the Rings episode on Brian Pillman. I think that was probably it. Uh, worst promotion was WWE. And that's because of Raw. Uh, NXT, them changing it to 2.0. Them doing away with 205 live way before this month. I mean, basically, they did away with 205 Live, what, six months ago? I mean, they might as well have. Uh, they did away with the Cruiserweight Championship. Uh, NXT UK, it was hit or miss. So, yeah, it had to be WWE. This one I disagree with as far as Worst Feud, Randy Orton and Alexa Bliss and The Fiend. 
I know a lot of people didn't like the supernatural stuff. I kind of did. WWE, with The Fiend having some mental health problems, Bray Wyatt uh, not being able to come to work, he had his new baby. There were a lot of things that were going on, and him being hit and miss those first four months, I think really killed this storyline. It was a downer at WrestleMania. But it being the worst, I don't know. I, I really, I don't know. Worst TV show, guys, it was raw. It hands down was raw. Uh, worst match of the year was Miz versus Damian Priest, the zombie lumberjack match. Guys, I kind of have to agree that that was a waste of time. Um, worst major show had to be Survivor Series. And you're like, what? That had Becky versus Charlotte. I agree, that match really didn't live up to its billing, but, guys, Survivor Series is, they did every Rock promo that they could, and then they didn't deliver the Rock. This was the one where they had people looking at the egg, and then the egg disappears, only for them to chase after it on the Raw after Survivor Series. Yeah, this was this was absolutely awful. Um, the worst gimmick people voted for was Alexa Bliss being the substitute fiend. I never really looked at her as the substitute fiend. I think it's hilarious. She kept this gimmick pretty much the whole entire year. It was one of the leading merchandise sellers of 2021 so you guys were buying the shirts you were buying the dolls which is keeping wwe continuing this gimmick stop buying the crap you must have liked it but you know here it is the worst um the worst announcer Corey graves i was shocked I know a lot of you don't like his schlick, his gimmick. He's a heel announcer like Bobby the Brain Heenan was. Um, I cannot believe that you guys think he's one of the wor- worst announcers. That blows my mind. His explanations of gimmicks that WWE brought to the forefront his explanation of matches I don't see how you guys could have had him as worst announcer just oh blows my mind anyway worst promotional tactic is WWE announcing record profits and then firing wrestlers for budget cuts. This happened three times in 2021. Absolutely awful, WWE. You cannot fire, I think it ended up being 88 wrestlers and record record profits. And then people voted overrated evil. I saw people yesterday on uh, Twitter saying, I don't even know what they're talking about. Evil 
is a tag team or a faction, a wrestling faction, in New Japan. And um, they are overrated. The Bullet Club is overrated. Especially with them having 50 members and them being all over the place. And you can't keep up with who is feuding with who. And which Bullet Club members don't like other Bullet Club members. And you're going to see that happen the first six months of 2022. It's already starting with Jay White's Bullet Club coming to Impact and fighting with the old Bullet Club members, the Good Brothers. You're going to see it on AEW when Jay White comes and starts in with Kenny Omega as he has already started with Adam Cole and the Young Bucks. Um, I think that's probably the most overrated faction in wrestling now is the Bullet Club. But I absolutely love them. Um, five years ago, ten years ago, when Finn Balor was prin- Prince Devitt and it was new, loved it. Five years ago, six years ago? It was probably six years ago. When Kenny Omega, Young Bucks, and Cody were in the, the Bullet Club, loved it. The storylines were awesome with Kenny Omega fighting Kenny, or Kenny Omega fighting Cody. For control of the Bullet Club, loved it. Now, uh, yeah, not so much. So, guys, there is um, Wrestling Observer 2021 Awards. My takes on it. Who I thought you got some history in there. You um, got to to hear me rant and rave over some some different things. So I hope you guys like this episode. Please write me. Tell me what you thought of the awards. What did you disagree with? Yes, I know they were AEW leaning. Here's why. Because AEW fans are the hardcore fans. And they vote on all fan stuff. If it's on Twitter, if it's on the website, if it's on Reddit, if it's wherever, you're going to see... Most of the time, AEW is going to win because they have the hardcore fans. Guys, if you're upset that your favorites in WWE didn't win, or your favorites in GCW didn't win, or your favorites in Impact Wrestling didn't win, number one, you got to vote. You've got to go when they're having these and vote. But number two... You might need to write or tweet your promotion and tell them to get their act together. Because honestly, some of the ones you guys like, they're just not that good enough to win. So get your promotion to get them better. Guys, so write me, prowrestlingot at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at prooverTime. That's two O's, prooverTime. I look forward to hearing from you guys. I will be talking to you guys soon, probably some other time today. I'll be dropping the WrestleMania card predictions. Guys, I look forward to talking to you guys soon, and hopefully I will see you somewhere down the road.